Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 20. 15 through 25 verses of Scripture. Today, I'm going to talk about wine. What a great subject for Mother's Day. Wine and wisdom is what we'll be talking about today. Um, so let me, uh, let me start reading, and you guys can follow along. If you need a Bible, oh, raise your hand. Ushers ha- have Bibles around. If you need your very own personal Bible, you can get one today. Or you can take one and give it to your mom and say, Happy Mother's Day. Um, verse, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think if there was one verse that your mom would want you to hear today, it's this verse. So let's, let's pray. Lord, this is our daily bread today. This is what we're going to feast on today. So would you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the scriptures. Uh, may they go down deep to change us, to really transform and change us, Lord. I think there are things in this text that you're calling us to that are even beyond the surface level reading of this text, like deeper things that you're calling us to. And I pray that our church would, even this morning, be filled with the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, you're, you're welcome to do your work here today. We say, come Holy Spirit, lead us into scripture, lead us into responding to this, lead us into some of us into salvation, lead us into repentance and into joy. All these things, Holy Spirit, come and lead us. Lead me now, I pray. In Christ's name, amen, amen. So we're in a series called Made and Crafted, and this series is through the letter to the Ephesians, and it's about how God is designing with intention a community of people in the world to be the fullness of Christ in a particular place. And the way that Paul does that in every one of his letters, but specifically in Ephesians, is he immerses his audience, he immerses his readers in their identity. And that's how actually Paul starts this letter. He says, you used to be X, Y, and Z. You used to be this. You used to be in the world. You used to be darkness. You used to be this. But now that you've placed your faith in Christ, now that you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are new. You are holy. You are loved. You are the beloved children of God. You are literally light. You were darkness, but now you are light. This is what Paul does in this letter. The second half of the letter Paul starts talking about Christian living. And so it pivots, it changes. Right at chapter 4, Paul changes his tone and says, this is who you, this is who you were, but this is who now you are in Christ. And then chapter 4, he goes, now this is how we live in light of who we are in Christ. And the second half of the letter focuses on Christian living. And he focuses in on the parameters on those who call Christ Lord. So what is, a, the, for those who call Jesus Christ Lord, how then do you live? Because Christians no longer live the way they used to live. Christians no longer live the way they used to live. On some level, I think this is self-evident. Or maybe the Spirit reveals it to people. I think it's self-evident, though. I think you guys know this. For example, I didn't, I didn't grow up in church um, I had no Christian background growing up. I went to church maybe one or two times as a kid. But when I was a junior in high school, um, and I, I believed Jesus was calling me to follow him, 
I had in my possession drugs, a lot of drugs. And I knew, not having read the Bible, I read three chapters of an obscure book in the Old Testament called Job. That's all I read. I had no biblical knowledge. I didn't read the whole Bible in a year. I didn't do any of that. I just read three, and I knew, I knew that, that these drugs and my commitment to Jesus were at odds. I knew that. I didn't take like, I didn't have to go to a class to learn this. Like I knew this intuitively. And I knew that I had to get rid of one to follow the other. I didn't have a lot of knowledge of Christianity, but I knew Christians lived differently than they used to live. I knew that. Christians live differently. And what Paul is doing for the second half of Ephesians is holding up these things that are at odds with following Jesus. He holds them up. He goes, these are things that are at odds with following Jesus. These things do not, are not compatible with a life of faith in Christ. And at the center of our text today is one such example. He holds this up. He says this in verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which is debauchery. No one uses that word anymore. I'll explain what that word is in a second. <laughs> Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you're thinking, well, I don't get a drunk on wine. I don't even like wine. I prefer, you know, Hennessy or whatever, like hand sanitizer. I don't, I don't really do that. I'm good. You're not good because he's talking about alcohol. Don't get drunk on alcohol, okay? So if you're like, oh, I don't drink wine, I'm good. No, that, you're not, okay. This is, Paul is talking about alcohol, drinking. Now, why is Paul going after drinking here? Is drinking bad? Is alcohol a sin in the Bible? Or is alcohol sin in this particular church? I don't think I've ever talked about this publicly before. It should be fun. <laughs> First, let's get back to verse 15 for a second. Let's get context for a second. Verse 15. He says this. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The Bible is saying how you live matters. How you live will have consequential ripple effects into the world around you. As followers of Jesus, we should be very careful how we live in the space that we occupy every single day. When I hear, be very careful, then I hear my dad's voice in my head. From the time I like, started riding with my friends to school and getting my own license and car, my dad would say every single time I left the house, he would square me up, look me right in the eyes and say, Dave, be careful. Be careful. He was, a, he was a fireman and he saw a lot of accidents and wrecks and he saw the worst of people not being careful. And so he knew the danger. And so he would pull me aside and go, Dave, be careful out there. Be careful how you live and how you drive and who you drive with and your decisions that you're making. Be careful. <clears throat> I find myself doing that with Ashley before she leaves the house. She drives like a mad woman. So I'm like, Ashley, <clears throat> be careful careful. I know you're in a rush. And sometimes I'll square up. I'll ask you, be careful. Be careful out there. This is what Paul is saying here. Be careful how you live out there in the world. He would even say, because in verse 16, because the days are evil. Be careful how you live in this world. Be careful what you say in this world. Be careful what you do, your decisions, your actions. They all matter. They all have consequences. Be careful. And there's this, and he would even say, there's like this gravitational pull towards evil. If you're, there's no neutrality in this world. There's like a gravitational pull for us towards ungodliness, laziness. Be careful how you live. Now, how does Paul suggest that we live? He says, you should live as wise people. Live as wise 
Don't live as unwise. Be wise. Okay, so what is wisdom? Wisdom is skill in living. Wisdom is skill in living. Most of us younger people in here who went to school or good schools and college and spent most of your life so far studying, we have what is called raw intelligence. We have raw intelligence. This is what we gain in school. We gain facts and knowledge and information. Raw intelligence is what we are bombarded with on social media and news and Wikipedia and BuzzFeed quizzes. This is like raw intelligence, right? We're, we're not really told what to do with this information. We're just given information at nonstop fashion. Some of you guys are looking at it right now on your phones. Now listen to me. You're on your phones consuming raw intelligence, right? Information. We're information junkies. We want to know. We want to know. We want more and more information. All the information that there is, we want to know it. Do you know what to do with it? No, we don't know what to do with it. We just want it. We want it all. Raw intelligence. Raw intelligence is knowing that. Wisdom is knowing how. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the intelligence that you have. Wisdom is knowing how we take in all this information and what to do with it and to do something actually good with it. That's wisdom. Raw intellect is knowing that something is true. Wisdom is knowing how to apply that truth. And not just how, but why to apply that truth and when to apply that truth. Thus, wisdom is doing the right thing at the right time, in the right way. Wisdom is not just knowing what to do, but doing the right thing. And not just doing the right thing, but doing it in the right time and doing that right thing in the right way. That takes wisdom. And it's a learned skill. And this learned skill begins, the Bible says in Proverbs, it starts with knowing God, fearing God, and knowing your place as a human before God. So wisdom actually starts with a bit of humility, knowing that I don't know everything, but God does. And so I will seek God. I will place myself before God as someone who's humble because I don't have all the information. I don't know how this thing will end, so I will be humble. Wisdom, one theologian writes this, wisdom is practical theology for day-to-day godly life in a complicated world. Wisdom is practical theology. It's the the knowledge of God, but the practical knowledge of God for living day-to-day godly life in a very complicated world. See, wisdom is not less than moral absolutes or the commands of God, but it's more than that. Let me give you an example. Let's, let's take the example, uh, thou shalt not steal, okay? That's a command. We find that command in the Ten Commandments. It's a moral law. I think if we, we, we would all agree that we want to live in a world where people don't steal. We want this to be true. If your bike has ever been stolen in this city or your car has ever been broken into or something's been taken from you, what you want to believe, or your phone's been stolen, you, what, what you want to be true is can, can we all just live by the rule we cannot steal? We should not steal. We all want this, okay? Okay, but that's good. That's information. How do we know how to apply this information? And at one level, we get it. We know that we shouldn't steal. But wisdom goes beyond just not stealing. Wisdom asks to understand why we shouldn't steal. Wisdom asks to understand how do we apply thou shalt not steal. How do I apply thou shalt not steal as a corporate banker? How do I apply thou shalt not steal as an assistant coach of my son's little league team? How do I apply this moral law? And then not just understanding it, but, but contemplating it, contemplating the reason behind it for the command. What does stealing do? What is stealing introduced into the fabric of society? What does stealing introduce into a community of people? 
What's the importance of personal property? And then true wisdom points way beyond that. So true wisdom points beyond it to go, okay, so how do I live in light of where the command is pointing? Because it's not just about not stealing. It's about being respectful. It's about being just. It's about being generous. It's about being honest. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom just doesn't go, okay, we can't steal. Wisdom goes way beyond that to go, no, we actually have to be respectful and live justly and live generously. Okay, so Paul is saying, be wise, live as wise people. And then he moves right into don't get drunk. So let's take this command, don't get drunk, and apply wisdom to it. Why does Paul say to the church, don't get drunk? Now let's apply these three things that we just walked through with the, the stealing. Let's understand the command. Let's contemplate the command, and let's see where this command points, okay? So first, let's understand the command. The Bible and alcohol. The Bible does not prohibit the drinking of alcohol. Prohibition is not a thing in the Bible when it comes to wine. You actually won't find that in the Bible. Therefore, drinking is not a sin. Drinking's not a sin. Actually, the opposite is true. Psalm 104.15 says that wine gladdens the human heart. It's from God and it gladdens our heart. In John 2, Jesus literally turned water into wine. Not grape juice, wine. And it was a good wine. So good they're going, where did you keep this? Why were you keeping this from us? You brought the best wine out till now. Okay, if Jesus made wine, I would imagine it was insane. It was so good. I cannot wait to go, Jesus, can I taste what you made? I just want to taste it. Okay, and the final blow, here it is. And the final blow to the argument that the Bible prohibits drinking of alcohol. The final blow. If you don't, if you're still not on board with me, you're like, no, you can't drink. The Bible says you can't drink. The, the final blow to your argument is this. Jesus used wine to inaugurate the new covenant. He used wine to inaugurate the new covenant. This is what this means. The literal way that you're supposed to remember Jesus is with bread and wine. So when Jesus thought, how is my church going to celebrate my life in them for eternity? Bread and wine. Wine. I want them to drink wine. You, this wine has the potential to be a beautiful celebration of life. Some of my favorite memories are being with a few friends in our favorite winery in Napa, enjoying lunch and a glass of wine, overlooking vineyards. And I know at this moment, God is real and God is good. Like, I just, I just know, I'm sitting there going, God is so, and I, I always turn to my friends and I say like, this is, this is the way our faith says to celebrate Jesus. Right here, bread and wine. This, this cup, us together, enjoying each other. This is the way that we celebrate our religion. This is, a, this is good. This is really good. Like if you don't believe in Jesus, that's a compelling reason to believe in Jesus right there. <laughs> Especially if you live in San Francisco, a very compelling reason. This is the way. Just recently we were at, um, uh, like during Passover, we had a Passover Seder meal with our community group. And the first um, glass of wine was poured and bread came out and we gave thanks to God. And I'm just sitting there going, guys, this is communion. Like we get to enjoy 
company and bread and wine. And this is called communion. This is called remembering Jesus. Are you kidding me? That is, that's beautiful. Okay. Jesus, this is how Jesus said to remember me. Now we have grape juice on Sunday mornings because we're in a school. Don't bring alcohol on a camp, on school campus. Just rule one. Okay. So there's grape juice. But anyway. Now, but there are, there are a ton I feel like you guys know it's coming. You guys are just kind of reserved right now. You're like, oh, he's, he's hyping up wine, but he's going to hit us really hard in a second. <laughs> I feel like you guys can't go there yet. You're like, it's not that joyful yet. What are you going to say next? It's, you're right, it's coming. There are, there are a ton of passages about the abuses of alcohol. A ton. And so we need wisdom. We need wisdom because we're not told not to drink. We're told not to get drunk. And you know, if you're, you know, just just depends on what you ate that day, your size, all that. Like, this all depends, right? How fast you drink. So it's it's very subjective until it's not subjective and it's very objective. You're drunk now. But going into it, you're like, okay, I need wisdom. Like, what is too much? How fast? This sort of thing. In order to understand the wisdom behind don't get drunk, we have to contemplate. So the second thing, contemplate. Meaning, we have to find the reason for the command. What does drunkenness, these are questions that we should ask ourselves. What does drunkenness do? What does the drunken version of you introduce into a community? What does the drunken version of yourself introduce into a home, into a church? Paul is not randomly choosing drunkenness to compare with the life filled with the Spirit. He's not just choosing it at random. He's not, he he, he couldn't have said like, don't kill anyone, but be filled with the Spirit. He couldn't have done that. He couldn't have said, don't cuss, but be filled with the Spirit. Like he, he, he chose these two on purpose. He wants to contrast being drunk and being filled with the Spirit. Because being drunk and being filled with God's Spirit both affects you. Both of them affect you. Both of them change your life. Both of them cause you or allow you to act like a different person. Those are the similarities between the two, but that's it. You act differently differently when you're drunk. When you're drunk, it suppresses your awareness of reality. Researchers say that alcohol, uh, what alcohol does, it affects your prefrontal lobe, which is the, the part of your brain that you use to think through consequences of your decisions. It deadens your ability to make wise decisions. It affects your ability to see the consequences of your decisions. People jokingly call it liquid courage. Does alcohol give you courage? No, it just makes you stupid. That's it, that's what it does. It makes you stupid and it suppresses the way you process reality and it deadens the way you think through consequences of your decisions. This is why we have songs like Blame It On Alcohol. Because it's real. This is why people who are drunk think that they can drive. They actually think they can do anything. Not just drive. Like, could you fly? I could fly. Like, give me a plane right now. I will fly. I guarantee, like, it just deadens all of your, your, your ways to, to access or think through consequences. So Paul says, don't get drunk on wine because it leads to debauchery. Now, what does this word debauchery mean? This word means it leads to a life of no restraint. No parameters. It means that you'll do whatever, that you're down for whatever. It means what many of you already know, that being drunk leads to some of the worst decisions you've ever made. 
This is, you already know this. This is what alcohol in excess does. And so we have to contemplate it. We have to apply wisdom and think about this. Think about the times when you've had too much to drink. What does that drunken version of yourself introduce into your home? Maybe you grew up in a home where there was someone who abused alcohol. What kind of person showed up when they abused alcohol? What kind of person, what kind of version of yourself, the drunken version of yourself, what does that introduce into your Christian community? What does that introduce into this church? But we can't just stop there. We have to see where this points, right? Because it's, um, it's not about just not drinking. That's not it. It's not about just not getting drunk. That's not it either. Where does this command point? Where, what's the wisdom that, that, that Paul is pointing us toward? It's not about just not getting drunk. Look at verse 18 again. Don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Actually, when you step back and look at verses 15 through 18, it becomes, I think it becomes kind of clear what Paul is trying to get at. So step back. If you have your Bibles, look at, the whole, look at verses 15 through 18 as a whole. And if you don't have a Bible, it's, it's up here on the screen, part of it. Look, look at this as a whole. Let's read this again. Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but wise. Why? Because you need to make the most of every opportunity because days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do you see what he's doing there? If you step back, I don't know, I don't know if you see it. Let's, let's put it all on one slide. Look at the don't and the do list. Don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. Don't be drunk. Don't be unwise, foolish, or drunk. But be wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Discern God's will. Be filled with the Spirit. You know what Paul is after? You know where this, this points? Paul is after in us, the church, radical sobriety. He's after radical being awake to what God's doing, completely awake to what God's doing in the world. He wants us to be, look, look, at, look, at, look at verse um, 14, if you have a Bible. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Right before this section starts, Paul quotes, wake up. He wants us to be awoken to what God's doing in the world. Not sleeping, not drunk, not like distracted, he wants, he wants radical sobriety in our lives. That's what he's after. He's after being, us being wise, making the most of, of, of every day, making the most of every opportunity. He wants, us to be, he wants us to discern God's will at every moment. He wants us to be filled with God's spirit at every turn. He wants us to be radically sober. See, this is not just about not getting drunk. It's about being radically sober in this life so we can make the most of every opportunity that we're given. See, we need wisdom around drinking. We need wisdom, especially in this town, in this church. We need wisdom around it. And you have to think, are you, are you going for that drink to celebrate Christ and to celebrate life and to make, and make you more awake to God's activity in the world? Is that, why, is that why you're pouring that glass of wine? Is that why you're ordering that drink? What are you doing when you order this drink? Are you going, I'm ordering this drink, I'm pouring this drink, I'm pouring this glass of wine to make me more awake to God's activity and the world, to thank God for life and community and to remember Jesus, to make me aware of what's happening 
Is that why you're going for this drink? Or are you going for this drink because you need a drink? I need a drink. We've all been there. I've been there. I need, I need something to numb this thing called life. I can't deal with this anymore. I cannot wait for the weekend. I cannot wait until 6 p.m. or whatever. I can't wait until I got off work. I, I, I need a drink. And what we're saying, if we're using Paul saying, don't be drunk, be filled, what you're saying is, I don't need the spirit. I need alcohol. I don't need God. I don't need God's spirit. I need a drink. And we've all been there. I mean, I, yesterday, um, my wife and I, ha Ash had a very difficult, like, I'm so proud of her, like this really huge, difficult, triumphant moment at the end of her day. Like this thing that she's been staring in the face for a while and then said, I'm doing it. And it was awesome. And I was so proud of her. And afterwards, she was like very emotional and it was very difficult for her. And she was like mourning and all this stuff. It was really hard. And we were there together and I'm like, maybe you should reach out to a friend for support as well. You know, I'm, I'm there, but there's something about larger community. I'm always there. So she's like, Some, sometimes there needs to be someone else. So she reached out to a friend. And one of the things her friend said was, don't have alcohol. Don't have alcohol. And the thing is, Ash had just poured a glass of wine. And that, that like bit of advice allowed Ash to go, this is a wise, this is wise counsel and poured out her drink. Like, no. I think that that was the discernment process that Ash had to go through in her own heart. Like, what am I, what, what, what am I doing? Am I, am I pouring this glass to celebrate like that happened? Or am I pouring this glass for something different? And her friend said, just don't even go there. Just don't do it. This, this is the wisdom that we need. This is the community and the wisdom we need around this. We need to be thinking very, very honestly about why we drink, why we do, why do we do this? How can we do this rightly and with wisdom? See, so we, 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 the whole thing is that we're not a church that just doesn't drink. No, that's not it. We are a church who is being filled with the Spirit. That's what it is. It's about being filled with the Spirit. And the the thing, if, if you just said, well, I'm, I'm not going to drink anymore, that's maybe for some of us, that's a really, really good thing. Maybe you just need to go, I'm, I'm, radical sobriety for me means I'm not even going to touch alcohol. I, I, need, I need to step away from it, either for a season or for the rest of my life. Or maybe I need to actually start to go to meetings because it's getting pretty insane. For others of us, what we need to do is put a lot of wisdom and parameters around the way that we approach drinking. Because the goal isn't just not to drink. The goal is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, what, is that, what does that mean, be filled with the Spirit? Well, first of all, what is the Spirit? Orthodox historic faith has always said that God who made the whole world and the universe is one God but exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And sometimes it's pretty simple for us to wrap our minds around God the Father. We get God the Son, that's Jesus. But God the Spirit, that's hard. That's difficult for some of us. Um, one scholar writes this. This is how he defines God's Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. God's empowering presence. It was there in Genesis chapter 1 when God created the heavens and the earth. It was the Spirit of God. 
It was there in the activity of Jesus. It was there in the activity of the birth of the church. It's there throughout scripture. God's empowering presence is the spirit. We say as Christians, Jesus is with us. Jesus is even in us, alive in us. The question is, how is Jesus with us? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. Because what we have read before in Ephesians um, chapter 2, that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is seated there. So how is Christ seated there and with us at the same time? And the answer is the Spirit. Jesus promised this in John 14 and John 16, that I am leaving, but I will be with you. They're like, wait, wait, how can you leave and be with us? And the answer is the Spirit. I'm giving you the Spirit, and the Spirit will live inside of you. So think about that. We are filled with the empowering presence of God. Now, if you do think about that and you you find that hard to understand, what does that mean? What does it mean that I'm filled with the Spirit means I'm filled with the presence of Jesus? If that language confuses you, let me think of it. I want you to think of it like this. If someone is filled with grief or if someone is filled with joy, we understand that what we're saying is that emotion has so dominated their being that it describes what they are like, right? So if someone is filled with grief, that emotion has so dominated their being that it describes what they're like. They're, 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 they have grief, If they have joy, if they're full, filled with joy, this person's filled with joy, that characteristic, that emotion has so dominated their being that it describes their character now, okay? In Acts chapter 5, verse 3, we have a story of a man named Ananias who cheated and lied to the young Jesus community. And it describes what he did by saying he was, uh, Satan filled his heart. Satan filled his heart heart, meaning Satan had so dominated his impulses that Ananias was acting in alignment with Satan's will. Okay, so those two examples, those might be more concrete for you to wrap your mind around. So being filled with the Spirit then is that. It's being filled with the Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is is the controlling influence, motivating and directing our lives. We are so filled with the presence of Jesus that we, it describes what we are like. We are like God. We are like the Spirit. We think we are in line with this will of God through the power of the Spirit. That's what it means. So being filled, <clears throat> you are given the Spirit, <clears throat> excuse me, at conversion. You're given the Spirit at conversion. And we're, at, we're told here, and the tense of this is be continually be being filled with the Spirit, meaning we continue to ask God, fill us with your Spirit. There is not a Sunday that goes by that we should not be asking. There is not a day that goes by. What a beautiful daily prayer. God, today, fill me with your Spirit so that I can be, my, 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 your will is aligned with my will. My will is aligned with your will. My thoughts are your thoughts. What breaks your heart breaks my heart. What gets you excited and stoked today, God gets me excited and stoked today. I want to be aligned with you. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want to be influenced. Just think about the way that alcohol influences the brain. I want the spirit of God to influence my mind. I want the spirit of God to influence my body. That's what we're saying. And this is radical sobriety. This is what it means to be awake to what God is doing at any given moment. 
so in tune with God's activity in our lives and in the world that we are able to make the most of every opportunity. Now, maybe today you think you're getting off easy because you don't have a problem with drinking. I'm like, psh, totally nailing this sermon. I don't, have, I don't have that problem. But you do have a problem with your phone or flirting or serial dating or maybe problem Netflix binging. And there are other ways that you cope and escape from this life. Another way that you are not radically sober to this life that God has saved you into. Ways that you are distracting yourself, that you are numbing yourself from the purposes that God is calling you to live into. See, one of the biggest reasons why people turn to alcohol is to cope. They don't want to deal with real life. They drink to forget. People drink to forget. Some of you get on your phone to forget. Some of you Netflix binge to forget. Some of you sleep around to forget. You do it because life is so painful that you want to numb out. Think of it like this. The world drinks to forget. Christians drink to remember. The reason why we go to the table of communion and remember through wine and bread, Jesus is to remember his life in us. To remember that he saved us, that he has redeemed us, that he has forgiven our sin and we have a place with him right now. That we remember that life that Christ is reordering is good, is good. And, and the goodness that is God, the peace that is God will one day reign on this earth. And we drink to that. We drink to remember that. We go to the communion table to remember that, to remember his life, his forgiveness, his purpose, and his calling in our lives. See, we drink to remember. Philippians 3.12 has been something that has guided my life since becoming a Christian. I think I read this verse maybe a year into my faith or something like that. And it's, 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 it's guided me. And it has to do with what we talked about because this is Paul saying the same thing in Ephesians but in a different way in Philippians. He says it like this. He says in Philippians, not that I have attained all of this, not that I am perfect, not that I have, I, I have gained everything in this life. No, I haven't done it yet. Or have I arrived at my goal yet? But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That, that, that last phrase, I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me, has, has honestly led me into sobriety. Like, rat, like I'm, I'm, I want to live in a radical sobriety. I, I do. Um, it's not easy. It's hard, especially because I, I love all, I love, it, I love everything. So I'm like, I just want it all. Um, but this has guided me in, 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 a, in a journey toward radical sobriety. What, the reason why I want to live completely like awake to what God's doing in the world and in my life. The reason why I want to do that is because I want to lay hold of the reason Christ laid hold of me. So there's a reason why Christ grabbed onto my life. There's a reason why that Jesus saved me. He's like, Dave, I'm saving you. And there is a reason why he saved me. And my reason for life is now to lay hold of the reason why he laid hold of me. So if he said, Dave, I laid hold of you to be a minister. I've laid hold of you to be a loving husband. I laid hold of you for X, Y, Z, to lay hold of you for this, this, and this. I want to lay hold of those things. That's what I want to live for. I want to live for the reason why Christ saved me. That's all I want to live for. This is the invitation 
to come back and remember. Remember that Jesus took a hold of our lives. And for some of us, we need to remember that Jesus took a hold of our lives to free us from the sin that we, found our, we find ourselves in right now. Jesus has freed us. And we're, 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 we're back playing in mud. Um, yesterday, uh, I was having Mother's Day lunch with my family in the East Bay and Ash and, and my sisters and nephews, nieces. And um, Ash and my, and my brother-in-law made just insane like grilled salmon and ch grilled chicken salad. It was, it was so good. And the kids got cup of noodle because <laughs> they wanted it. And cup of noodle came out and I wanted a cup of noodle so bad. <laughs> so bad. And I would, I would sneak behind my nephew and eat his cup of noodle. And then, um, and then they gave me my very own. And so then I ate my cup. And so I'm, th I'm sitting there eating this. And it's roasted chicken flavor. And I literally have grilled chicken. That's the best grilled. And grilled salmon. But I have flavored roasted chicken cup of noodle. And I'm eating it thinking, what am I doing? Why did I go back? Why am I back here? How did I get here? That might be you right now. Like, you're just there again. Like, how did I get back here? I thought I quit this in college. I thought I literally quit eating this in college. I quit doing this in, or whatever it is. And you're just there, back there again. You have no idea how you got back there. Going to the table communion is remembering, is going back there again and remembering, this is what you saved me from. And this is what you saved me for. And I will get back. I will come back. I will go back. You just didn't save me to free me from my sin, but you saved me to be a minister, to be a light, I need to remember that. I, I, I really think that being a Christian in San Francisco is this other thing, but it's not. It's really being a light in this city. You saved me for that. You laid hold of my life for that. I want to lay hold of that, God. Coming to the table again this morning is to remember. To remember. Not to forget. If you're numbing yourself out and you're forgetting the call of God in your life and you're forgetting why Jesus saved you, remember today. Remember. Let's pray. Lord, as we move into a time of remembering, I pray that now we would, as it says in the rest of our text, we would speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit right now. I pray that we would move into singing and making music from our heart to the Lord, that we would give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Move us into a time of rejoicing, praying for each other, publicly just saying, I'm, I've gone back to these old things. There, I, there's ways that are controlling me. I want to turn to Jesus. And so, Lord, would you give us the freedom to do that? I pray that, the, that times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord right now. Pray that you would make this a sweet time, a light time, where it feels like you're lifting the burdens of our life from us that we are able to be free in the spirit to worship you, free again to begin to follow you, unfettered by our sins, unfettered by our habits, unfettered, just freedom in this place, Lord. I pray freedom in this room right now. In Christ's powerful name I pray, amen.